0: Praise the Lord. Everybody, okay? Okay. Well, get your worship guides out. We're going to move on and get into the Word today. Uh, you can follow along on YouVersion as well if you have that awesome application that you can put in your phone, uh, and it has under Live Event uh, our worship guide right inside that, so you can use your iPad or your you know your digital phone your digital Bible if you want to call it. Um, And follow along with us we've been in a series entitled crowd control where we've been talking about the good the bad and the ugly of crowds and really just a whole bunch of different aspects of my wife kicked off the series. Uh, which was great. We talked about the personality of the church and what it should look like. And we talked about kind of, I think, the walking dead and the talking dead and some things that the Bible had to say through men and women of God that come out of really the crowds and spoken of in Hebrews chapter 12. We're surrounded by such a great cloud in the crowd of witnesses. And what would they speak to us? And what would they say to us? Well, today, as I skip ahead, today is kind of a a unique message, uh, one that I've never done before. I've never taught on this in a public sense, only in a private sense, advising people part and parcel, a little bit here, a little bit there, never really kind of addressed the subject that I'm going to talk about today, and I'm probably going to do it over two weeks because today's also an important Sunday as we have Connect small group signups after church today. Amen? Amen. And so I'm going to talk about crazy crowds. I'm going to talk about cults, crowds. And churches. And in my experience, you never really hear a lot uh, of teaching, or frankly, any, about how to leave a church or how to join a church. Especially, how to leave a church, sometimes you hear about how to join, like just come on in we'll, you know we 'll take everybody and anybody uh, we don 't care what, you know where you came from what 's going on in your life and, and there is needs, it needs to be an, uh, an acceptance a strong acceptance of the church, but uh, we don 't really talk about the aspects and the differences there, and the reason I think is the, is in many cases is because many churches don 't talk about these things because there are frankly unhealthy environments there are unhealthy climates, and conditions that sometimes uh, represent or mimic cult, cults themselves or cultish behaviors. And I want to clear that up today in our, in our, in our subject. Um, I don't know if this is in your notes or are you just going to take notes. I think this is a very open uh, notes uh, worship guide. But Colossians two eight is a key scripture if you're taking notes, and I recommend you do. This will be a packed uh, uh, message. And Philippians 4.16 Colossians 2.8 says this, it says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. In the next verse, 1 Timothy 4.16, it says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because you will save yourself and your hearers. Now this not this might not be one of those messages that you shout me down on. This is gonna be more of a teaching message. Can you guys handle that this morning? Does anybody want to learn? Raise your hand if you want to learn. Yes or no? Okay. So this is going to help you. I want you to remember this next statement, and I'll unpack this over this week and next week a little bit. But it will help you so much if you kind of let it sink in. Because when we're trying to determine right from wrong or truth from falsehood, um, sometimes the, the, the correct application, the knowing what to do in certain situations and principled thinking, sometimes doesn't come to us as a default. Sometimes we have these Truth extreme, small t, and we're not really, we don't really know capital T, the truth that you need to look, look for and, and, and apply to your life. And the, and the person that embodies truth, that can help us with life application, is Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus embodies our beliefs in perfect unity and congruency. And so here's the big idea. You can write this, this idea down. The big idea is Jesus is good doctrine. Jesus is good doctrine. So we're supposed to watch our life and doctrine closely, but you need to know that Jesus is good doctrine. And good doctrine with real-life application, it keeps us healthy. It keeps us free from deception. Many people in the church, out of the church and in cults, um, can get, have different layers and levels of deception. And Jesus modeled this over and over with his interactions with people to break through the what's right from what's wrong and, understr- and understand that the truth and how it should be lived. The lesson uh, in the world, if you want to know the lesson in the world, you have to watch his life in, uh, embody the word. To, to, to know the lesson in the world, you watch Jesus' life embody the word. In the word, it clears it up every time. In church, people for centuries, you know, they have gotten sidelined and sidetracked by cults and lesser, let's just say, separations from the body of Christ. Even uh, different denominations are, in many respects, a dysfunctional or fractured church. Denomination actually means divided names. So when people look at the church of Jesus Christ from outside of the church, subconsciously what they are saying is you can't get along with yourselves why do i want what you have and so until we can major in the majors and not minor and major in the minors we have a church that is fractured, that is splintered, and so, and powerless, or let's just say has less power, marginalized, and minimized. And so, we need wisdom as a church and as believers to stay strong and healthy. Can I have an amen? And the world often accuses Christian groups, and you've probably been put in this bucket. I know I've been at different times as a public figure uh, of being and behaving like a cult. And so, I want to talk about what is a cult. So, let me give you a couple definitions. I'm going to give you like three of definitions of a cult, and if you want, you can write these down, but a cult is a relatively small group of people regarded by others having religious practices that are strange or sinister. A cult is a relatively small group of people regarded by others having religious practices that are strange or sinister. Sinister. I was actually watching a TV show about a month ago, and I, I don't know what it is, but I have that gravitational pull towards those, like, Judge Judy kind of shows, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know what it is, man, but I just, I get sucked in like a, like a, like it's like a gravitational pull, like a black hole, and I'm watching this show, and I can't believe it, but there's this one guy suing another guy, this one guy is suing a deacon who was in and part of a Pentecostal church. And sometimes, well, anyway, I'll get to that in a second, but this particular guy is suing this deacon because he got, he got bit by a rattlesnake in the worship service. Now, how many know the first thing I thought right there was, that there's a cult? You know what I'm saying? There's nothing to think about. That's just weird. And if you don't think that's weird, you're weird. And so that's going to be our line through this whole series, okay? If you don't think that's weird you're weird, okay? So, let's just get that out right away. So, if you pass around rattlesnake, come on, seriously. And I hate that it happened to be a Pentecostal church. Because I happen to have Pentecostal roots, and unfortunately, some of these Pentecostals just go so far majoring in the minors, misinterpreting Scripture. They do what's called eisegesis. They take a verse out, lift it, and make a doctrine outside of that and just go crazy and miss the whole point of Scripture. They miss the essence of what Jesus was trying to accomplish. They don't see that. You need to look at in truth through the lens of Jesus' life who embodied the word in real-life application. Amen? Okay, so here's another definition of a cult. A misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing. A misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing. I'm going to move on. Here's another one. A person, another cult definition. A person or thing that is popular or fashionable, especially among a particular section of society. You see this a lot with like, cultish music. You see this with movies. You see this even with fashion. Um, But my favorite definition so far is this one. From the vantage point of the church, or this would be a more evangelical uh, definition uh, and perspective on what a cult is. It is a perversion of the gospel based on an unholy devotion to a person, principle, or both. A perversion of the gospel based on unholy devotion to a person, principle, or both. I like this one the the, the most. And and let me me state kind of clearly that I don't believe Christian churches are cults. I don't believe Connect Community is the one true church that we have a corner on the market of truth. I believe that any church that professes uh, salvation by grace through faith is, 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 is a church that somebody can go to and receive uh, help and assistance, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Amen? Now, some churches might do it more effectively than others. All right, but but I love many other men of God that live in our community. I was with uh, many pastors this last weekend uh, for the Warriors Conference. Come on, men! All the Warriors Conference. It was just a great weekend we had away. And uh, there were some great men of God that came together. And, and I thought about all these great pastors in an area that are getting it done. And so some, uh, we don't think we're the only church. That, that's cultish in its, in its thinking. And I don't think any church at all times is for, just, is just for, is for, is for everybody. There's sometimes different flavors within the family of God. And, but there can be these cultish behaviors in the church, even though they're still a Christ-following church. You can have a Christ-centered church, you can have a gospel-centered church, you can have a a full gospel church, if that's what you want to call it, Um, but there can be cultish behaviors in those churches. Does that make sense? And so, like, for example, like how to leave a church. Uh, like sometimes how to discipline your kids like how to dress there can be controlling, manipulating type behaviors and, and I think that that's why sometimes you get stuck somewhere and, and you might need to and that's why some people leave those churches that's why we have people that come from great distances to come to connect and I believe a church alive is worth the drive come on somebody remember that, that's a good one that, that's tweetable right there baby alright where you're fed is where you're led, right? Okay. Anyway, I can keep going. I can keep going. We we well, we always say that you know, if you keep a healthy church, if you have a healthy pastor, I always say, you know, the Bible says, "Smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter." But if you shore up the shepherd, the sheep will gather. And so when you when you when you love your leadership, but you don't you don't idolatrize them, you don't put them on a pedestal. You pray for them, you support them, and you know they're they're human beings that that have human frailties and can make mistakes. Just like, I still have to approach His throne of grace every day, just like you. I still have to confess my sins, just like you. The only difference between me and you is I have more responsibility than you, which gives you, therefore, more authority because they go hand in glove. But that's the difference, amen. But but sometimes there are inordinate connections, sometimes to a group of people. Oftentimes it's in smaller churches because they're smaller minded sometimes, and they're controlling and at the expense of persons' growth and calling and fulfillment. And in these interest, in instances, sometimes leaving may be needed. So how do you leave now? I'll get to this but again this is going to this is going to be over 2 weeks but assuming you were in a healthy church let's start with that first. If you're in a healthy church how do you leave the church? Perhaps you're leaving because of relocation because of a job. We just had two families in the last month or so leave connect let me know about it, communicate about it. I actually helped place them in a church. In fact, last week, one of them returned. So happy to be back. And uh, another one, same church I sent them to, came back today. Just told me today in the parking lot. That's why I was late, because I was talking to them in the parking lot. And they returned. So I'm just going to keep sending people to that church, because they always come back. <laughs> so that, that's worked out really well for me. Uh, I can't wait to tell him that. Because um, I thought, he, <laughs> he's like, what are you doing? But, uh, but sometimes people leave because of those kind of things. Sometimes it's missions. It could be ministry. Uh, it could be a, a new change or a new season that God is directing somebody, and I believe that's possible. But you should go with the blessing of your leadership. And I was talking about this, but frankly, few honor the years of sowing and growing within a community of faith and just vanish. And I just want to say something to you as your pastor. And I'm saying this to a church that's healthy and it's full, so I'm not trying to control you or anything, but that's just wrong. It's just wrong to just just be in there for a long time and then just pop off and just vanish. That's just weird. You wouldn't do that in your family, and you shouldn't do it in your spiritual family. And so if you weren't connected and you were kind of on the fringe and you weren't a frequent flyer or a family member of the church, I get it. But if you were one of those two inner circle areas where you came on a regular basis or you were formerly a part of a family, you should leave with the blessing of your leadership. You shouldn't just you know, just take off and, and leave. I believe, that will, I believe that will haunt you. I believe that will go with you into the next environment. And you won't hurt the church you left. You'll hurt the church you go into. And so honor your leaders by including them in your decision. I believe when you do that, by the way, listen to this, listen to this. This is a submission to authority principle. It activates wisdom in the leader, and they'll give you something that will help you a lot. The opposite of what you think will happen is they're going to try to be preferential and keep you and hold you and control you. Uh, again, I'm assuming you're leaving a healthy church and you've been growing and blowing and going for God for a long per- period of time. You're going to get the best counsel on your way out in those kind of situations, okay? But this message is more about if there are problems in the previous church. And unfortunately, that's more common. And, and if, you, if you've ever felt this one or had this one uh, in your life, this message may, may not apply to you now, but it may be a source later. That's why I'm doing this. Is Some of it is for a lot of people in this room. Some of it's for people yet to come that we want to make sure we can point them to something to help them uh, have the right perspective, okay? So here's what I want to say to people who are leaving churches from unhealthy churches is, number one, leave your offenses at the door. Leave your offenses at the door. How you leave will affect what comes in with you. I have seen that happen um, many times in this church, and it's important to leave well, And one of the ways you know you left well is what you act like when you enter, what's coming out of your mouth, what's coming out of you, how you speak. I always get encounters with people, and I listen, and when they might have been hurt, they might even be a wounded warrior, they might need some healing, but they're not bad-mouthed in the previous church. That tells me a lot about that person. They still might need healing, but they're, but, but, they're, but they're leaving well. I think it's important to try to do everything you can to make sure you close the door well before you walk in and through another door when you go into it. I know a pastor uh, who served faithfully at a church for over 20 years in a particular ministry. And um, he, had, um, he had sowed... Um, uh, his talents, but he also sowed his treasure. But he was employed there and he actually put money away. He'd invested for retirement a certain amount of money uh, into this ministry over those many years. And at a certain point in time, there was a season when it was time for him to leave and, and he, this whole thing didn't go very well and he was denied all of his investment dollars that he had made from this particular church. And so thousands and thousands of dollars he was denied over a 20 year period. So he actually, um, Brian Houston was his pastor at Hillsong Church, and he went to see Pastor Brian. That's where he transitioned to. And before he went to see Pastor Brian, the Lord spoke to him and said, you know, son, you let me be the judge of that. You let me take care of that injustice. How many know God is just? He doesn't doesn't forget anything. He doesn't miss anything, okay? The Bible says he will avenge. He will repay. That's why when we try to take care of it ourselves, we're circumventing the process of God's justice and judgment. He'll handle it way better than us, and we need to trust him. So God spoke that to him, and he wrestled with that, and then he went to see his pastor, and Brian, you know, he was telling Brian, his new pastor, this story, and Brian says, that's sad. That's that's wrong. That shouldn't have happened, and he he let him kind of get it all out, and event, and then he prayed for him, and at the end of that, he said, but here's the deal, here's the deal, that's the last time you're going to tell that story again in here, and, and this pastor said that was the best advice he had ever received, because it's, it's, it's it, here's, a, here's a principle, you can write this down, here's what I discovered about situations like this, you, you will become what you cannot forgive, you will become what you cannot forgive, Hurt people will eventually hurt people. That's what happens. And, and this is so cool, but he left that whole thing with the Lord. And years later, I was just telling my wife this. It was about 10 years after the fact the next senior pastor, basically that church went through a whole upheaval. It was judged, for lack of a better word, not just for what happened to this man, but other things that were problems within the foundations of that church. The pastor, a new pastor, came in uh, to lead this particular church, and to kick off his leadership, he took the whole church on what's known as a, like a consecration fast. He took everybody into a season of prayer and fasting to make sure that the spiritual foundations of this church were pure and upright, and that vision would be fulfilled on a godly, um, on a godly foundation. Make sense? And so while they're in this prayer, the Lord begins to show him that there's sin in the ground. There was sin in the soil. And so he began to investigate some of the histories of the church, and he found out that there was a brother who was taken advantage of for thousands and thousands of dollars. And he figured out where he was, where he worked, and he called Called this pastor and he said listen, God told me this in amidst a fast and I want to know exactly how much you say was taken from you because this is what we have. The dollar amount amounts match and they cut him a check and they paid him for everything that was taken for him years later. God is the judge. God is big. Amen? He's big. He's large and in charge. And so that's one thing to know about how to leave. but let's talk about something else. How do we join a church? So let me talk about that and I'm going to give you one illustration that uh, you can look at for yourself in your own study but this is looking at the life of David. And some of you know that David was a very uh, charismatic leader. Uh, he was a commander. He was a warrior. He was a tender warrior. He was a worshiper. Now, in the Old Testament, they didn't have pastors like, like they do in the New Testament context. But you had, you had kings. You had leaders. You had prophets. And so, for all intents and purposes, David was like the pastor over his people. And so, I'm going to give you kind of a, uh, an illustration back then of how people joined with and followed a leader. Why? In, in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 is the key text. 1 Chronicles 12, 8, it says this. It says, Some Gadites defected to David. Everybody say defected. Some Gadites defected to David. In other words, they were in kind of. One area, and they left, and at his stronghold in the wilderness. And they were brave warriors, ready for battle, and able to handle the shield and spear. Their faces were the faces of lions, and they were as swift as gazelles in the mountains. Now, these men, these Gadites, left where they were, and they defected to join David. Why did they join David? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when I talked about this whole idea of what leadership should be like and how we should evaluate and, and do our due diligence when we look at leaders. The Bible tells us to consider the outcome of their way of life and to imitate their faith. How many remember that from a couple of weeks ago? Praise the Lord, five people remember that from a couple of weeks ago. It was a very impactful, impactful message. But basically... There's a need for leadership. You should look, go get that message online. It, it can help a few more people in here. Um, but basically, the Bible's telling us that you need to you need to look at the leader. Yes, you should submit to them, you should follow them, you should honor them, but you need to make sure you consider the outcome of their way of life. You, make, you need to make sure that their faith is worth imitating and following. But basically, that's what happened with these guys. David had a reputation, he was a man after God's own heart, he was, he was a great leader, and so they were attracted to anointed leadership. They recognized someone that they wanted to align their life with and fight with. And they did their due diligence and they watched. And then in verse 14 of that same chapter, it says, These Gadites were army commanders. The least least of these guys was a match for a hundred, and the greatest for a thousand. Listen, these are some bad dudes. I could have added another letter, but this is church. These are some bad dudes, okay? These are like special forces in the Bible. These are no joke. They were, they were, they were core, hardcore soldiers. They were gifted. They were skilled. They were the best of the best, and they wanted to align themselves with David. And in verse 16 and 17, it says, other Benjaminites and some men from Judah also came to David and his stronghold. And this is what happens when there's strong leadership. There's a gravitational pull. To, once the due diligence is done or should be done, there's a gravitational pull towards strong leadership. But what happens with leadership is and this sometimes um, surfaces within the leader, the true character of the leader. In other words, when skill and talent and, and, and influence and resources start coming to let me modernize this for you. So you can look at this through the lens of this war culture, or you can look at this through the lens of, a, of an affluent culture, an American culture. Let's modernize this and kind of put this in the church. These guys were deciding what church they were going to go to. These guys were the... Uh, the movers and shakers of the church. They were the strong influencers and leaders. They were the worship leaders, the, the children's leaders, the youth pastors, the songwriters, the, the creative studs, the small group gurus, the usher, ushers and parking team. They, they were the, the givers. They were the best of the best coming to the, to the pastor. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? I'm trying to draw a parallel here. And by most pastors or leaders, uh, they would be coveted, coveted anywhere. And because and they, they would resource the work of God. But this is what happened. It goes on to say, David went out to meet them and said to them, and you would think he would say something like, Man, we've been waiting for you. Come on. You know, we're glad you're here. You know, whew, I didn't know how we we're going to get through another weekend. But that's not what he said. He said, He went out to meet them and he said, If you have come to me in peace to help me, everybody say, Help me. Help. To what? Help me. If you have come to me in peace to help me, I am ready for you to join me. But if you've come to betray me to my enemies, when my hands are free from violence, may the God of our ancestors see it and judge you. Tell us how you really feel, David. You're, you're, you know what I mean? He's, this is how you win friends and influence people. The most talented, best of the best come to him, and he's like, if you're coming to me to help me, Great, you can join me, but if you're going to turn around and you're going to stab me in the back a little later and you're going to do this and you're going to do that, then you know what? May God deal with you ever so severely. Come on in. Come on, have a seat. You know what I mean? I can remember a guy one time coming to this church, and uh, he was from the south, and he came in, and he was all dressed to the nine, and, you know, he's got his three-piece suit. He's got his Sunday best on the whole bit, you know, and I'm looking like this, so he's probably sizing me up like, I don't know if I'm going to follow this jerk, and, <laughs> and I remember him saying, you know, hey, pastor, I wonder if I can get a few minutes with you, and it's the first time, first time. He's like, yeah, so I was, uh, he's telling me all his accolades and all the different things he's done, and I was a deacon over there across the way at blah blah, blah, blah church for the first frigid Frigidaire, or whatever, and... <laughs> He went through his whole thing and I just go, that's great, man. Have a seat. We'll see you, you know, have a seat. Like, what do you want me to do? Because of your position and your title someplace else, you're going to roll in here and you're just going to roll up on and to do whatever you want, you know? And so sometimes leaders are like, oh, you did all that? Really? Oh my gosh, I got a slot. I got a lane for you. Whoo, fill that in. You understand David saying, uh-uh, homie, don't roll like that. And so are you here to help or are you, hel- are you here to hinder? What's going to be your deal? So if you're trying, so a lot of times what happens is people come in from a church trying to change the church and you got to ask yourself, well, why did you leave? If you're going to come in and try to change our church back to your church, go there. You should be there. you got to get on board. you got to get the DNA of the church that you're in, that God's called you to, here. Amen? we got to teach people how to leave. So are you coming to help or are you coming to hinder? So let's look at some reasons sometimes that these things happen, and we'll talk about some of these cultish behaviors. And I'm just going to give you one or two today, and then we're going to call it a day. But signs of cultish behaviors in the church would be like how we address that. Here's a sign. The first sign of Cultish behaviors in the church is personality-driven leadership, personality-driven leadership. Now, again, I know nobody's shouting me down on all this, but this is still good teaching, okay? First Corinthians chapter 3 is the key text, verses 1 and following, 1 through 9, I think, actually, okay? It says this, Paul speaking. Everybody say Paul speaking, so I know you're there. It says, brothers and sisters. I think of a song as soon as I hear that. <laughs> brothers, bup, bup, bup. Okay, sorry. I gotta do that for my own entertainment. Brothers and sisters, <laughs> I gotta get past that two, those three words. Brothers and sisters. I, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling, by the way, those two categories are signs of cultish behaviors in the church. If there's a lot of jealousy and quarreling, there's always cultish behaviors in the church. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, listen to this, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? This is Paul saying this. Only servants. For whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each one his task. I planted the seed, Paul says. Apollos watered it. But hey, God is, has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. The one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Only, only God who makes things grow. Everybody say, only God. So who gets the credit? Here's the thing about man. When man takes the credit for the successes, he's going to have to take the credit for the failures. The only one who should get the glory is God. It says it all over the place, you know. We should we shouldn't we should glory in our strength and our might and our power, it tells us in the book of Daniel. But let him, let him who glory, glory and boast in our God. Amen. So, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have no purpose, have one purpose, excuse me, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. If we are co workers in God's service, you are God's field, God's building. So one of the traits of cultish thinking is we find ourselves being enamored by personalities. This is so common. It's very common for new believers in particular, where instead of going to the Bible, we go to Google. And we just Google up the latest and the greatest, and, and we go to who's who in the charismatic zoo, and, 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 and those are just my old terms. But just like who, who's getting all the hype? Who's getting all the press? And Paul, by the way, is like way bigger than T.D. Jakes in, the, in, in this particular time, okay? This is the bishop, Paul, right? It's kind of a big deal. But he's resisting this himself. He's saying, it's not about me. I'm your servant, He's calling them, these people, calling them out. He's saying you're being worldly, infants, babies, ill-prepared, ill-equipped, inappropriate is really what he's saying. You have cultish mindsets that if you follow them, Paul, Apollos, whoever, Paul's saying, you're not following me. You gotta follow servants but servants of the Most High God, amen? And, you, and so sometimes you get into these church environments and people insinuate, infer, or outright state, you need to follow me or you can't grow. You need to be under me or you can't grow. You need to be aligned with me or you can't grow. Now, I think you need to have godly leadership. And, and it can sound, I don't think it's conflicting, but I'm trying to make complimentary points to what I said a couple of weeks ago. Is everybody tracking with me? In other words, if you're watching their life and, and their, the outcome and, of their, and, and the behaviors of their life and the beliefs in their life in practice, well, you should follow leaders. You should always have leaders in your life. But if they're not following Jesus, putting Jesus first, giving the credit and glory to Jesus, and you need to run for the hills. Okay? Does that make sense? So cults come by people taking advantage of people's innocence. And he told them they were babes. Cultures thinking comes in when we try when people try to, to, to thinking comes in when people try to be spiritual and worldly in the same environment. That's when you see cultish behavior. In other words, we're saying certain things on Sunday morning, but on Saturday night, we're behaving certain ways on Saturday night. We're trying to do those two things all at the same time. Paul was constantly calibrating and correcting the church to make sure, whether it be the church of Pergamum, whether it be the Corinthian church, whatever, all these things, he's always trying to work. Hey, listen, you can't have contrasting environments. You have to have complementary and congruent environments. And there are no cults out there that don't have a depth of spirituality, but they also have a corresponding depth of darkness to it. It's a perfect recipe for cultish behaviors. And great affinity and affection can lead to great disunity and deception. Amen? If not balanced with wisdom. I wrote this down, but cults usually, again, have jealousy and worldliness that surround them. And we need to see what's going on here as a church. Jealousy and quarrels and worldliness. And it's it's often manifested in negativity and gossiping Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, uh-huh. I've been there. Hopefully it's not here. I'm not saying we're perfect, but I'm just saying I don't think we have a lot of that here, but I do think that we need to grow in this and what I'm saying to you. There should not be a lot of negativity and gossip. Cults elevate personalities above God's word. I was saying this recently, but I was watching on television. Again, sometimes you have to go look for some of these things in Christian television, which you didn't have to before, but there was a guy on there, kind of a prophet, basically saying that if you give $1,000 the lord is showing me right now there's a special anointing on this offering for every person who gives a $1000 you will receive a 100-fold return for that offering but you got to do it now he was like he was like creating a, it's like sales create a sense of urgency i'm like i know sales i know exactly what this guy's doing right now he's manipulating people with a gift that god gave him the sad part is it works And people get deceived. And the the, the sad part is it contradicts what God's word says. God promises a 30, 60, 100-fold return, but he doesn't say which one you're going to get. And so for me to say which one you're going to get is a manipulation of the scriptures. So we don't follow personalities, we follow wisdom that comes from the Word of God. Listen to this, this doesn't sound crazy, but I heard about a church in Australia and a guy who was seeking advice from another pastor about it, and he said that the pastor believes that God gave him the ability to to interpret dolphin language. (laughs) Hang on one second, I'll be right back. And now he's going to the ocean regularly to talk and receive wisdom for the church from the dolphins for his sermons. You know what I mean? I mean, I just see like flipper, you know what I mean? Out there. Are you serious? That's weird. And if you don't think that's weird... You're weird. Come on. You need to <laughs> you need to do not pass go, do not give two hundred dollars. Get your butt out of there. I heard another story, this is true, where people in one church were told to wear these 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 tin or um sorry it's uh, uh elements I'm trying to make copper hats on their head. That look like chef hats, and they slip them on their head. And the teaching that was permeating the church, it's a little church, by the way, it was in Australia. I think the blood runs in a different direction down there. Than it got... But anyway, that's just a sidebar. But, but the, they, the teaching was that, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And so that if you, if this, these, these, he can permeate your thought life and in order, to, in order to defend and buffer against the thoughts that he could put into your mind, you need to wear these tin hats. And so Christians are going all over town with tin hats on. <laughs> if you don't think that's weird, then you're weird. You're weird. Now, this is a real this is a story also that I know about. It's, a little, it's sad because I actually knew these people. But there's a church that's uh, not too far from here in, in the New England area. My dad and, uh, and I knew this family very well. And they fell prey to deception. One of the leaders in their church claimed that he was talking to on a regular basis an angel. The angel's name was Harmony. And receiving these just like downloads from this particular angel. And whenever he would speak to this angel, he would be translated to wherever the angel was. In other words, he would just poof, and then poof, he'd be someplace else. And he would create all these different scenarios to convince people that that's exactly what was happening. Well, actually, it got so much press, the church blew up like almost 2,000 people from like a couple hundred over this particular um, you know, teaching that was taking place and these particular happenings and scenarios. And ultimately, this guy was found out to be a liar. And it was all, it was all not true. Just before I was getting ready to go to the press and a huge book was getting ready to be built. Harmony, the angel of, you know, visitations and the man's translations was all a lie. And so here's the test. You have to always ask yourself, where is the power of their authority? It can't be dolphins. Can I have an amen? It can't be Tin hats or some kind of uh, copper hats. It can't be some self-appointed prophet, something else, some book, or something like that. Cults tell you that they that they only have the real truth. They try to convince you that they have they have a corner on truth. They have some revelation that's above the revelation of. Do you know that God's word is revelation? That God's word is prophecy. It is a more sure word of prophecy. Cults will require you sometimes to do things like, another example is they try to get you to commit to an unhealthy sense of community. And there's there sometimes control you with this sense of community. They call, it, they call it, like what we call it here, we call it family. We call our church spiritual family. And in fact, that is. But in some churches, it's like being a part of the Christian mafia. <laughs> like once you're in, you can never get out, buddy. You can never get out. If you leave, this is what I've heard people say. I've actually had to pray one time for a group of young people who came to church here. They were afraid to come here. And they basically said, you know, their pastor was telling them, a pastor not too far from here basically was telling them, if you come to connect, bad things will happen to you. Bad things will happen to you. It was sad. It was sad. I remember one time, this was years ago, and i got to make sure I don't say the the, the the particular person's name, but there was a, a woman who got saved in our church. She came from a Catholic community, and then her daughter started coming to church, loved it, and uh, they came. They came. To, we have, you know, as you know, we have a second floor auditorium, and so I was down the bottom of the stairs, and the mother comes down the stairs. I'm like, oh, how'd you like it? it was oh, it was great, you know, and what'd your daughter think? And she, I think she liked it. She comes around the corner, and the poor girl falls. She kind of like trips, catches herself because she was pretty pretty young and, and bounces back pretty quick, but as she comes up, she screams out, I'm gonna make up a name, okay but it, it, he, she basically said, "Father Joe, oh Father Jones knows I'm here, I'm being punished!" Aww. So she screamed out in our stairwell. And how many know that that is cultish behavior, yeah. cultish behavior. And so we have this tendency to follow and then fall prey to personalities. And we must have leaders, but leaders must not control us or manipulate us. Amen? Amen. This is what I want you to do. I want you to stand your feet. I'm going to pray for you. We'll continue this next week. Did you get something out of this? We have a very important Sunday today, and I want to make sure that you guys have the maximum time to interact and connect and be social and have a good time here at church because today, after all, is sign-up Sunday. For Connect Groups. And I want to say something about that real quick while I have your attention. The reason I'm actually standing here today is because of small groups. Small groups changed my life. I don't believe I would have discovered I was a pastor, grown as a leader or a pastor until I got in one and actually led one, actually changed my life. There were many years I sat right where you are and I looked at a guy like me and I thought I could never do what he's doing or make a difference like he is. And it was through the ministry of receiving and also the ministry of giving in small groups that my life was changed. Not to mention the fact that relationally, uh, I believe that the people that you do life with change your life. It, It changes the course and the trajectory of your life by who you do life with. But you have to be intentional about it. So you can accidentally fall into the wrong relationships, but you have to be intentional about getting into the right relationships. And so we have, over, we have almost 30 groups this, this summer, That's, we've never had that many in the summer, that are available this summer for you. And so I know you've got busy schedules, and if you can't go to all of them, just go to some of them. Go when you can go. Make some connections. It will tee you up for the fall when you can be more consistent. But, I, hey, I'll be away a little bit this summer, but I'll be going to a small group too. Uh, but just get in one. Jump into one. If you don't know the people, hey, they, they, they probably, you know, um, didn't, didn't know you, but a lot of don't know you either. But you make that connection here at church, we're all going in the same tra- trajectory. We're all going in the same direction. Sometimes we do things, not because everybody's my people and I know everybody and it's all familiar and comfortable. We do things because we want to progress. We want to grow. So I want to encourage you to connect with somebody just because you want to grow. So ask a few questions, hang out a little bit, and see what God's going to do. Amen? I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you not to follow, again, personalities, but to follow Jesus. And make Jesus before the church your priority. Before you join a church, I want to encourage you to join Jesus. Tonight, you'll have the opportunity to join a church if you want to at C101. But I want to encourage you, if you haven't done that, to join Jesus. So if you're here today and you've never been in a church like this, you've never been in an environment like this, it's all new to you. But some amazing way, God is knocking on the door of your heart. Maybe you're listening online and God is speaking to you right there at your computer or watching on a television. I want to just encourage you to take that next step of faith in your journey. In one moment, God can change your heart. Your life is changed over time in relationship, but it's all kicked off by being in relationship with Christ. Maybe you've been coming week after week, getting a little bit closer, a little bit closer, a little bit closer. But today's the day of salvation for you. If you know that's you today, just honoring the people that are around you with every head bowed, every eye closed, please. So it's me and them, and God. But you know God's speaking to you. I want you to raise your hand on the count of three and say that this is my day. This is the day that I'm making that commitment to Jesus Christ. One, two, three. That's me. Is there anybody here? God bless you. God bless you. That's awesome. 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 Thank you, big guy. I love you, man. Anybody else? Thank you, sister in the middle. Thank you so much. That's incredible. So proud of you. Praise the Lord. You can put your hand down. This prayer is not what's gonna save you, but believing it in your heart will. And so I'm gonna encourage you and all those that are with me, would you say this prayer with me together because we know how important this is. The Bible says the angels rejoice when another name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's a party in heaven over this. But I want you to say this, pray this with me. Say, Jesus, save me today. Now is the time of my salvation. I choose this day to put my trust in you not in something else, not in someone else. You alone are my Savior. I also choose to make you Lord of my life and to be a good follower, to get connected, to get plugged in to a spiritual family. Change my life from this day forward in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for everybody who just prayed that prayer and said that. Yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hey, listen, before you...